0: Hello and welcome to MIDI's podcast, Beyond Consumption, A New Era for Entertainment. This is episode four. I am Keith Joplin, Consulting Director. I'm here with Hannah Kallert. Hi, Hannah. Hello. And Chris Thacker. Hi. Hello, both. So we're going to be talking in episode four about rethinking consumption context which I think follows on certainly from episode three, and I hope episode four, because that would make a lot of sense. In the saturated, oversaturated attention economy, how content strategists and content services need to think more closely about context, because context will make you relevant, and relevance will get your consumption enjoyed and consumed. So we're going to be talking about. That We're going to start off with this idea of literally a 3D model for, for thinking about context, where we've got three axes. We're going to be talking about lean back versus lean forward content and consumption, private versus public, which has got more interesting since the pandemic, and then singular versus plural, which might need some explaining when we get there. But I'm going to start with familiar territory for most listeners and people working in the content field, which is lean back versus lean forward. So I was at Spotify for a while in strategy, and I used to argue when I was there that Spotify couldn't be both lean back and lean forward. It had to decide which one it wanted to be. As consumers, we can do both because I can listen to music in the background whilst reading a book. But for content services... Do they have to decide which one they want to be? Hannah, what do you think?
1: Uh, Well, some seem to be able to maneuver both and some can't. So the question is, what's the distinction? Uh, For example, a lot of video streaming services can claim to be able to do both. Uh, Netflix, for example, has some classic lean back shows like Community versus whoever owns Friends now has that as well. Uh, filling the classic daytime TV function, these shows can function equally as background audio or intermittent tune-in kind of shows. Um, and binge-watching binge watching probably emerges by tapping into this to an extent. However, they also have lean-in content. So Netflix has gotten really into its weekly releases, which we thought was a thing of the past, but seems to be becoming very relevant now because it makes people tune in week after week. And then there's that generative subsequent hype. They're not lean-in, per se, as in the audience can't do anything but watch, but they are full concentration viewing activities that will spark further activities, like a Twitter conversation or um, Queen's Gambit was very successful, and it sparked a lot of chess sales. Spotify, on the other hand, is mostly lean-back, so it's got a lot of focus on playlists for background listening. Uh, Some of its functions, like the shared queue or personal playlisting, are arguably more lean-in. Um, or we could call them more like socially facilitative. They're not lean into the content, but mm-hmm. they're lean into activities outside. But the popularity of its radio and up next type functions and the prominence those play in music discovery definitely put it more in the category of background listening. Um, streaming music is totally lean back without much weight on curate, personal curation um but a a big example then alternatively tiktok has two contexts it's got lean in and lean back but unlike spotify it's able to do both because it's this it's got a very simple offering it's got basically a creator tool to lean in and it's got an algorithm to discover and that's it so the difference is pretty much the simplicity of offering where spotify has gotten very very complicated in all of the different things that it offers and so it can't because of the complexity, it has no flexibility versus something very simple like Netflix shows show like this is a lean in show. This is a lean back show. And TikTok, which is basically has the two functions. You either are discovering or you are creating. So I'd argue that's that's a distinction point.
0: OK, is has Spotify changed its proposition through podcasts? Because where where would you put podcasts? Because. If I'm listening to to a podcast, I can't really do that in the background because usually the content is meant to be engaging.
1: Mm, I don't know. I mean, you could have, say, radio on in the background or certain TV shows in the background. But I suppose you're right, actually, that podcasts would be a more lean in format. And it's something that a lot more people are actually not as professional creators, quote unquote. I mean, that the how we define that as kind of like dubious these days anyway but um yeah like it is something that more people are kind of just getting into and creating and it does require a little bit more lean and listening but it's still it's still within that structure and it's still they're not as popular as well I, I mean they're pretty popular um but audiobooks grew more than podcasts did over lockdown which says a lot as well
0: yeah, Chris, tell tell us about your thoughts on this dimension from a services perspective.
2: One or the other. I'd imagine that the services will need to decide what they're doing based on the content that is being created for that platform. And because it's the tools and the services that are defining the extent of what's possible on this lean back lean forward spectrum. And so you look at The likes of Spotify and Netflix. And you could say, yeah, compared to music, podcasting is a more lean forward, engaged type of content. But it's still a centralized distribution process where you have the creator, they go to Spotify, and then Spotify gives the consumer the content and it's being served to them. Whereas, like you mentioned, Hannah, something like TikTok and other UGC formats, even in gaming, like roblox and fortnite to an extent where it's a lot more decentralized the consumer is creating their own experience as they're using the service and it becomes self-defined to an extent where they are essentially creating they're becoming creators and they're not becoming creators going to the platform and then it's going to the consumer the consumers and the creators are starting to become one of the same thing And in that sense, Mm. you get options, you get choices of how much you want to create, what you want to create, whether you want to create for other people in that platform, or whether you want to just consume the creations of the other users. And so when that more decentralized structure, I think you can be both leaning and lean forward and lean back, as opposed to the more centralized ones where I think you have to make a decision.
0: Yeah, maybe it is a case of the the formats that are available to play with. Like as you say on TikTok, the format's very simple, and it is about creation as much as consumption. Whereas on Spotify, it's it's a platform for professional music creators, so it's, it's not like you can create a five second clip and just post it yet. I mean, maybe they're thinking about. Yeah, I'm it's... sure that Spotify is sort of, you know, in Spotify HQ they're they're scrambling around looking for kind of ways to uh, do what TikTok has done in terms of its engagement. But But it's yet.
1: yeah, it's still like fundamentally a distribution platform of stuff that is made elsewhere. And so when your function is distribution, that kind of consumption is inherently going to be more lean back like it's, that's just the behavior that it it generates mm-hmm. and so they try with like little features like the you know communal queuing or um shared playlisting but it's still such small facets of the larger proposition that's just too big to be that flexible and really change they'd have to go like completely social network to to really <laughs> make yeah. this make the switch which is yeah. quite difficult yeah. when you're that big as a company yeah, I think
0: it's had these debates over the years. I remember, you know, at when I was there, at least a couple of times there was a debate about how to become more social. But to some extent, it comes to comes down to the core content. So we talked about music and podcasts and we've talked a little bit about games. So from the perspective of those content types, I mean, it feels to me like music is sort of gradually um moving into the background with every passing moment, hopefully not disappearing into the background. There's some advantages of being in the background. Um, do you agree with that? And if so, how does it contrast with games? Because talked about games, presumably. I, I'm not a gamer, but it looks like it's totally immersive and lean forward to me, although people have started watching games on streaming services. So where do the two content types stand at the moment on that on that dimension
1: sure well music streaming uh definitely is is just kind of inherently lean back uh, very served very like one thing after the other um but it's this is not always a bad thing so for example discovery is related to mood or activity-based playlists is super high as is discovery through up next or personally curated playlists so it is in the background but as anyone who loves listening to music particularly as someone who's you know grown up with streaming and um, it's still it sets a tone for a room or a mood which is something that video can't really do it acts kind of it's not like static it's a, a mood and then there's other breakout activities that are like correlated with it like live music which was something that really lost out over lockdown um, and now as we as we break more into the when we get a little bit deeper into the space the more creator tools which are basically widening the, the creator funnel to the, the end consumer where creation is becoming a part of consumption. Um, but I think Chris can talk a little bit more about that. Games on the other hand by design yeah are totally lean forward. I mean they're participative by function you can't just have it running in the background for the most part. I mean some grinding exercises you can but like for the most part you actually need to be paying attention to what's on the screen and making it do the thing. Uh, which means that all of its engagement metrics are super high, attention grabbing, making them primary activities by necessity. Um, maybe you'll have a TV show on in the background or music playing, or you'll be talking to a friend, but it's still a- about the game. It saw a huge boom in over the lockdowns just because it had people had more time, and gaming requires longer activity sessions. Uh, it's got a really high, highly social aspect where it's allowing people to talk to each other and participate together in a thing communally, um, which was completely lost during lockdown in real life. So people turned to gaming to do that. So it's, it's definitely leading the charge into games. Games is leading the charge into a digital first life by mimicking these IRL behaviors in a digital world that's sort of all encompassing and um, really having that differentiator of being lean in, like completely participative.
0: Well, Chris, I, as you know, I continue to campaign for music as a lean forward um, experience. Am I fighting a losing battle?
2: I don't know, because you could say, yes, there is a lot of music being pushed into the background, being used as something to make your workouts better, being used as something to help you chill out and enhance your mindfulness. But in that process, we're starting to bring artists to the foreground, even though the music is going into the background. So Beyonce and Peloton and that partnership Mm. is just a wonderful example of this. And I think Peloton's value went up by 9% through announcing that deal. It would have been cool to see what Beyonce's value would have gone up as well (laughs) if she was on the stock market. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, it goes to show that even though the music is going into the background, it doesn't mean the artists have to. And it's the same with something like Headspace where they've got these focus music playlists, but they're done by the artists and they're introducing and curating new Mm. artists for you. And, you know, I'm discovering artists on Headspace that I never would have found otherwise. And even though I'm not actively engaging, just sitting down listening to their music, I'm doing it while I work. Mm. I'm still discovering new music and learning about these artists and becoming fans of some of them as well and this is the kind of thing which I don't know if we're seeing enough on the streaming platforms at least maybe the pure play ones because I can see how something like Apple Music now being bundled in with Apple Fitness it's being integrated into all of the contexts of that you will use your iPhone with that you will use at something like Apple Fitness with then and, and I mean Spotify have tried this with a abundance of contextual playlists but it's still not about the artists and so i guess the question back to you is what's more important being in the foreground just music in general where you're not really connecting with an artist or having an artist in the foreground with their music in the background
0: yeah yeah sure no it's a good question Uh, i think obviously you know the prime example of music in the foreground is probably live music although you know, we talked about this before, you can be at a gig and see people, you know, happily chatting away or staring at their phones. So it's difficult to say. But I think there's a couple of things you mentioned will come, which are potential implications for the way services need to think about these dimensions. But I will get to it. But I want to move on to dimension two, because we've got to rattle through this. Uh, And this one's interesting to me. So private versus public, which I can see why that's become such an important dimension to consider for platforms that are serving content, because we've all become a little bit more private in the last 18 months, because we're at home more. Hannah, can you first of all, spell out what we mean by the private versus public dimension and give us a couple of examples of who's, who's doing it and how it's changing things?
1: Sure. So I originally sort of used this dynamic for a report I was doing on social media, um, which is where it kind of really shows itself. But public would be very high discovery, unfamiliar, very public, well, obviously very um, public propositions uh, that are usually higher in discovery and lower in engagement. But those are correlations. They're not necessarily like um, endemic to it. Versus private is more one-to-one what's happening in your personal life. So social, most original social media propositions came out based on the private function and are now slowly moving, well, Facebook and Instagram in particular, are moving more and more into the public facing. A lot of advertisements, a lot of Facebook videos. Instagram has a lot of influencers. And in part, this has to do with... Um, particularly over the last year, lockdowns, obviously nobody has anything to share, uh, but also you have people are looking for when they're talking privately, they want those one-to-one conversations that they can't have anymore in real life, which is why we've seen such a huge boom in things like gaming and TikTok um, that really allow people to sort of keep up with one another as well as the bigger world and keep those things slightly separate. Um, but as we move back into having those proposition or those those functions being served in real life when you can go out and meet your friends, those really high demand high engagement private public facing or private facing things that allow you to catch up with the people in your lives that, that's going to happen in the real world. so maybe the public facing ones with higher discovery and more communal experiences uh, that is not necessarily just you in your personal life will become more of the, the needed service that people will turn to it for.
0: Chris, what do you think is going to be, uh, well, first of all, what do you think about this dimension? And then your thoughts on as we come post-pandemic and kind of go back into the real world?
2: Well, I think building off what you were saying about live music, because that is a public experience. But when we've been looking at the virtual concerts that have been happening since the pandemic, and even before that, and it's worth bearing in mind that a lot of these Virtual concerts that happened at towards the start of the pandemic were being planned way before we had any inclination that this was going to be happening, and I think we could look at the BTS Map of the Soul virtual concert because that was by far the biggest, had almost a million paid attendees for it, and that essentially brought what is a public experience into the private domain, where it is just fans watching this on their laptops or computers and so we have a private live experience but it doesn't mean that it wasn't shared it wasn't a collective experience because within that within that within that concert we had integrated live chats and groups which are public dimensions built into this private experience and you can see this kind of pattern in other platforms like roblox and fortnite where you've got this virtual public where you're private in the real world but that reality for you that digital world where you're connected with people across the world it's like a global public this public could never exist in the real world because you've got someone from singapore over there and then someone from the states on the other side of you and it feels like it's public to you That's your community. That's who you're engaging with. And that's who you're presenting yourself to the world to with your virtual skins and clothing, etc. And so looking forward past the pandemic, I think there will be a lot of people, especially of younger generations, who prefer that to the real world, prefer that diversity, prefer that global perspective and prefer what the virtual world can offer them. And especially Thinking about virtual events and festivals, there will always be demand for it. People are always going to love it, but we can't ignore how environmentally damaging a lot of large festivals can be compared to being inside a virtual world.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to me because the more I kind of think about this and the closer we get to returning to some kind of normality or, you know, going back to real life or whatever, I start to worry about the virtual concert space just as I've been worrying you know during the pandemic about venues and you know promoters and artists in the live uh, space or the in real life space because I think this might be useful for them to think along this dimension because you know as you were saying with the BTS experience I just I'm kind of curious whether they uh, I mean, it's probably by accident, but, they, you know, they did a, a a good job of diving from public into private. But thinking about this dimension might help those virtual concert providers for exactly the reasons you say, right? I mean, there's an inherent uh, advantage in the experience of watching a virtual concert in that you know you've got digital intimacy you've got the privacy of your own home you've got the convenience of you know you don't have to queue for 10 minutes at the bar you can mix yourself a nice cocktail or a cup of tea or whatever and you can enjoy the live artist up close and i sometimes feel like we haven't seen the best of that as a format Uh, and likewise as you're saying the collective experience you know how to get people together from all, all around the world and have them connect over something My feeling is they're going to have to get on with it and find the right way to to really serve these experiences before people kind of get fed up and go back to real world concerts, whether you know it's environmentally friendly or not. I mean, do you have thoughts on that?
2: Well, I guess this is where we might start looking at live music in the virtual space going into the background a bit more. Where if you just because live concerts have come back doesn't mean that people aren't going to stop playing Fortnite and there might just be things which you're rolling around in Fortnite, and then there's a venue there oh i'll check that out and there's just some live music and it's just going on in the background which even if you're playing roblox and you're at that little nas x concert he was playing he was performing you were hearing the music but you could do whatever you wanted you could just run around and jump on the set and the environment and so maybe in the virtual space, at least in that gaming environment, there's no real substitute for that compared to the real-life concerts. It's more of just a function of the game and the platform as opposed to you're going to it for live music.
1: I mean, I think what we're kind of discussing across a lot of these dimensions is just the increase in demand for flexibility. So that works when we're talking... Uh, public private with the the live stream concerts where people are much more comfortable at home in sort of a private IRL environment but a very public global space it also works for um, lean in versus lean back these really new propositions that are doing really well like TikTok that where you can choose how to engage with it similarly I mean the number of people who are absolutely like frothing at the mouth to go back out to live music scenes like here in london like everyone's keen for uh if if there's a speaker out in the park there's gonna be a rave you know it's that kind of feeling and so while virtual concerts will probably continue to play that kind of role with that kind of audience that maybe some younger people will definitely appreciate it's just another thing to add to a large portfolio of assets to choose from and having a social experience sometimes you want it's just as we're seeing a blending of public and private and um lean in and lean back it's also a blending of digital and real life where sometimes it's going to be overlaid sometimes you're going to want to choose in between them and sometimes things have to be you know propositions have to actually let you kind of choose um because people want it all you know it's all there
0: (laughs) yeah well i uh i That's a good point. I think I just saw news this morning about Live Nation. And okay, so I've now forgotten the name of their um, virtual music platform that they acquired, Chris.
2: I'm going to have to do some Googling. Um. I can't
0: remember either. Yeah, there was an announcement that, that I mean, I think they're doing exactly the right thing, which is working with venues on how to be how to offer more hybrid services when things come back. To, you know, when things come back on, because I think that's going to be an important part of venues ongoing survival and preparation for whenever the next, you know, shock wave hits. By the way, I, I do hope people are not literally frothing at the mouth of these people, otherwise people will be flocking back home pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> but look, I want to just quickly move to the third dimension, which again may need a little bit of explanation, Hannah, hmm. uh, which is singular versus. Plural so i 'll start with with games maybe because games has games seems to be quite singular it's it's immersive if you 're gaming you 're not doing much else you 're pretty focused on the game particularly if you want to uh progress in the game but once we get uh the reduced amount of in home time from going back into the real world, is gaming going to be uh, a net loss or is it going to see some of that primary time Um, ebb away. But first of all, before you answer that question, just give us some some enlighten us a little bit on the singular versus plural dimension.
1: Right. So we had some really good chat about this earlier as well. Basically, there's kind of a spectrum. So either there's singular activity where you are only doing the one thing and you're completely concentrated on that one thing, or you're you have sort of a dispersed or plural activity where there's a bunch of different things going on and you're sort of paying a little bit of attention to all of them. Um, This is slightly different from the lean in and lean back in that the lean in and lean back is how the proposition functions, uh, what it offers you versus overlapping versus singular behaviors or plural versus singular behaviors are how consumers are choosing to use them. So it could be listening to music while you're working out or watching YouTube while you're writing an essay or one of the... So gaming is then a very interesting one, right? Because it is so lean in and it requires so much of your attention. But then it is fairly common to have overlapping behaviors. So you might have a Netflix show playing on a second screen, or you might be on Discord talking to your friends, or you might be FaceTiming somebody. But it is still a really high demand for attention, which worked out in the attention boom of lockdown. But as we move into having more stuff on the outside that requires our attention, the things that require like, I don't know, maybe only 20% of your attention, like scrolling social media while you've got YouTube on and you're cooking dinner, each of those is taking like a certain percentage and there's a lot of multitasking that becomes very... Very instinctive when you have grown up in this uh, saturated attention economy. And in order to keep up with everything that's going on, you need to be able to pay attention to five things at once. And so some propositions are actually able to kind of layer over each other, which just sort of raise questions of like, how should you measure engagement? Should you want primary activity or primary attention? Or should you be content with having sort of a background or facilitative role? Gaming might suffer a lot when suddenly the hours, long hours at home are reduced and suddenly you only have maybe two hours of your day to sit down and do an entertainment thing. And you may choose to do that with your friend or your flatmate or your, your partner or whatever, and so it may not be a gaming session anymore. Those social needs may be being met elsewhere, so you'd rather mm. do something else. Um, so it does raise raise questions moving forward of what's actually some of the things that benefited most from lockdown may also lose the most when it ends.
0: Yeah. Now, I think we're getting into the second implication here, which is where platforms are doing more to try and keep your attention in different layers, as you say. So, you know, are you engaged if you've got Netflix on in the background while you're doing other things? I don't know. That's, it's an interesting thing to, to think about. I think it's, a way in which platforms are kind of, you know, in their hunger to keep us on the platforms for longer, are they trading off the core experience of why we're there in the first place? And you mentioned second screen. Remember second, I, I mean, I'm, you're both young, which is great to have this conversation with young people, but I'm old enough to remember the first attempt at having second screen where you could interact and chat. About a program via the same form via the same platform, the TV didn't work at all. People just not interested. So, what are the implications for platforms in terms of understanding these different contexts in which the content is consumed? Chris, do you have some ideas on this?
2: Yeah. Well, I think looking at that singular versus plural lens and that axis, you don't have to necessarily just be a lean forward proposition to capture singular attention because we all have the choice of just watching Netflix and doing nothing else as hard as that may be Mm -hmm. for some (laughs)
1: Guilty.
2: (laughs) the cinema is a perfect example of that where it may it forces you to turn your phone off and you're gonna watch this and it's gonna have your undivided attention and Apart Apart the other end, if you're eating a burger and chips because the cinema's decided to serve you food. But no, 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 that's a different story. Carry on. I guess so. Um, and I, on the other end of the spectrum, creation and being a creator and listening to something like Splice, for instance, where you are listening to these samples, you're still consuming music. You're still essentially a music consumer, but you're doing it with the intent to create. And I can tell you right now that if I'm making music, my attention is so focused on everything that I might be putting into that creation. You can't just passively say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to take whatever. I'm not really that fast. You you take it very seriously. And I think a good analogy is like if you're doing your Asda shop or for those in the States, Walmart, if you're doing your shop, you're picking every item and you're putting it into your cart and you're not just gonna say oh just give me a random set of whatever you know Mm -hmm. and i'll i'll make do with that you know with something when you're creating and whether that's splice or whether that's any other kind of content that you're using to make more content with you're really being intentional and you're really focusing your attention on what you're doing so you've got these two ends of the spectrum with lean back and lean forward where you can have this singular attention and then you would think everything in between is plural but i guess with what platforms can do although the content may not be the singular point of attention say for instance your amazon prime and people are just messing each other on whatsapp while they're watching it well why don't you put the co-watching experience now you can message each other within the platform And just because your attention is divided across different forms of content, doesn't mean your attention has to be divided across different platforms and channels. And it can be possible to integrate it, but it depends on whether consumers will want that and how they'll respond to it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, well, gaming has done that super well, right? Because you can listen to radio in most games or literally go to a concert in the game, Uh, you socialize in the game you you know it's it's actually taken all of those multitasking behaviors and pulled them into its ecosystem whereas you know video streaming services seem content to spend lots of money on the friends ip and just have people have that on in the background you know for for hours and hours
0: well we i was gonna mention because we've got we're running out of time we hadn't talked about friends uh which we talked about a lot in the in the conversations on this topic So I was going to use the extreme example of a platform getting your attention in different multiple contexts, is you're watching Amazon Prime video or a movie, and then the doorbell goes. You think, oh, I've been interrupted. You go and get your package, and it's Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it? They're in in every aspect of your life. Yeah, that's one word for it.
1: (laughs) cool. Yeah, that's terrifying. (laughs) And it's a
0: delivery from Whole Foods or whatever Amazon service has got. You sit down and eat it. So there you go. So let's just um, talk about the second implication. So the first implication, I think, is for content strategists or, or creators. And Chris, you used the example of Beyonce. Using these dimensions to make sure they get consumed or they get their brand in front of the consumer in different contexts because it may well be that their core context is kind of slipping into you know too far down one dimension like music in the background so Beyonce's coped with that fine for platforms you know the failure of second screen is a case in point because you know it used to be that the networks and program providers wanted to keep your attention so you could chat about a show Um, and do it all on screen It, it didn't work people weren't interested so what are the examples of platforms serving content in multiple contexts to increase time or engagement
1: well it's more they can serve different user contexts i suppose gaming is one that's actually crossed multiple screens because you can be using three different screens to be concentrating on the same game because it functions as an ecosystem, similarly to Amazon. It's an ecosystem, which means it has all these different touch points that can have implications in very different behavioral ways. When it comes to a single service platform, um, more like a subscription, like Netflix or like streaming music, it's a little bit harder. So you seem, I think as as Chris kind of mentioned before, it's more on the UGC side, so... YouTube, for example, you can have uh, live premieres of stuff that are being watched by hundreds of people all talking in the chat. You can have consumer-made random videos that go up into compilations. You have independent creators who get sponsors, and you have all the way up to big labels putting on big music videos for the the biggest artists, you know. Um, So it kind of spans the whole thing, and then consumers can either choose to lean in and comment, share, make videos, or they can choose to lean back and just have them playing in the background.
0: Hmm. Chris, isn't Netflix Party a good example of this?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I guess the real question is how many people are using it and how many people are going to keep using it now that lockdown is going to be ending. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I mean, I say that tentatively.
1: Don't jinx it.
2: (laughs) And... I mean apologies for getting meta about this but you need to think of the context of the context (laughs) you know the context of our world has been private for so long really and to get any kind of social connection we've had to lean forward to go find it we can't just step outside and go to our sort of local pub for instance and just meet the people who we Are just familiar with we have to be very active and proactive in a lot of things that we may have had to be passive in before but now the context is going to change again rapidly and all of these axes are gonna the values of it are going to change for consumers too and so i guess the key is to be adaptable to how people are changing and what, how generations are changing as well, and being able to anticipate how people are going to change. And that's probably the essence of mm. what your context strategy is going to be, to be able to understand how people are going to act like this. And maybe perhaps creation is probably, you know, keep coming back to it, because I think it is something where you're always going to be leaning forward into, you're always going to be There's always going to be a desire to be a bit collaborative with it as well, although there are a lot of people who do just produce and make music individually. But there's a lot of fulfillment out of being collaborative, too. And so we can take creation more public, which a lot of people are doing, not just on TikTok, not just on social media, but within the tools themselves. There are a lot of creative tools that are integrating or beginning to integrate social and collaborative features. And so maybe that's a more, a less volatile context to be putting your money into and betting your mm-hmm. money on. Whereas everything else is kind of a bit up for the bait, you know, where if I'm going to be watching something, maybe I'm sick of watching Netflix in my room and <laughs> maybe I do want to go to the cinema because I haven't in a year well, or Well, so. this
0: is it. So may, maybe, I mean, I'm sure Netflix has, has talked about it if they haven't done it, but you know, they, they move into, um, into the cinema. And so, what it is, is it's not so much the platform, but it's the brand, which amounts to the same thing, is covering off different contexts. The alternative is we can pass the buck on this because episode five is going to talk about the future of content consumption, the end of the silo. Mm. So, for Shrishti and Mark and Co., um, they can solve this one. But I, I definitely think, again, as with the content creators and service providers thinking about different dimensions, I think thinking about this one um, is is going to be interesting for, for platforms as well. But we'll leave it there. I think I'm going to challenge you two to create this 3D model so that people listening to this can actually go and read about it and use it. Um, so no problem. Put it out there. Let's see if you can create a 3D model. <laughs> um, Hannah, Chris, thanks for joining me. And for all the listeners, please tune in to Episode 5, uh, of Media's podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your
2: favorite podcast platform.